Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato with my co-host, colleague and executive producer, the great Mary Gamba. The wonderful Oz. <laughs> I, I just, Mary, I always listen, enjoy... I give you these great intros. I build you up, all of which is true. I don't hear a lot back. That's all I'm saying. For, I'm for anyone that tunes in, though, my, my titles seem to change week by week. So they... <laughs> all I'm saying, Mary, is great leadership is also about giving praise and recognition even to the leader who's not supposed to need it from the team, but that's okay. I'll let it go. Let it go. Mary, who's funding this program? Who's oh, we have a lot. Lessons in leadership. Let's get it out of the way. We have a lot of great sponsors. Thank you so much. So we've got Prager Metis, we've got Valley Bank, we have Givens PC, and we also have the International Union of Operating Engine Engineers. And we also have a really uh, great new promotional partner that I wanted to make sure we talk about, uh, Commerce and Industry Association of New Jersey, C-I-A-N-J. Uh, so you can check them out. And our program now airs, um, njonair.com. So we've got a lot of great new things going on here. And we're about in the next couple of weeks to announce two brand new sponsors coming on board, Lessons in Leadership. Why is that relevant? A, because we want to thank them and let them know how much we appreciate it. B, without that money, we ain't on the air. True. So that being said, <laughs> let's introduce our longtime friend, my personal physician who knows a lot about medicine, but also about leadership. He is Frank Mazzarella. He is um, the Chief Continuum of Care Officer at Clara Moss Medical Center, part of the RWJ Barnabas Health System. Good to see you, doctor. <laughs> thank you, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. Frank, let's get this out of the way. I'm a difficult patient, am I not? <laughs> I refuse to answer <laughs> on the grounds that it may incriminate me. <laughs> the first leadership lesson is to duck an awkward question right on the air when you're being recorded. <laughs> hey, Frank, listen, um, early on, you and I were talking. You were very helpful to, to my younger sister, Michelle. She runs yeah. the Northward Center, which is in the Claremont area. She um, had COVID early on. And getting advice from you and your colleagues was very helpful to her. You've been giving advice about COVID from day one. We're taping on the 6th of October. A lot of things will change. What's the number one leadership lesson you learned about yourself in the age of COVID? Uh, well, thank you, Steve. I think the number one leadership lesson I learned was the necessity to be adaptable. Um, it's, it's ironic, but one of our uh, one of our values at Claremont's, our, our Claremont's values spell out the acronym CLARAS, and the A of one of the A's of CLARAS is agility, and basically it's the same thing as adaptability. Um, this virus was extremely unpredictable. Starting out, I have to say I was almost a naysayer, having lived through the flu, SARS, MERS, swine flu, etc., even Ebola. And I did not realize the impact that this virus would have on us. It, it turned our world upside down. And again, it was just so unpredictable the way it presented. And these people were, were so sick. And Clara Moss got hit early on. I mean, we're, our first patient, again, another irony, our first patient was admitted on March 13th, and that was Friday the 13th. Within two weeks, it was easier to say which patients in the hospital did not have COVID than what did. We had over 150 patients at one time. Our ICU, which has a capacity of 36 patients and incidentally never had that many, suddenly was overrun. We had to open a second ICU in our same day stay unit for another 25 patients. We had over 50 people on respirators at one time. 
we were renting respirators, we were borrowing respirators, we were doing whatever we could to provide the care that we could for our patients. And then to add to all of that, you had the treatments changing. I mean, in the very beginning, we were using antibiotics and hydroxychloroquine, like everybody else was. We partnered with the um, Red Cross and we became, we, we became involved with the convalescent plasma. We became part of the trial for remdesivir. We did, we did everything that we could to try to, to stave off this, this, this plague, for want of a better word. Our medical staff developed a think, a think tank and they met every week to just go through ideas and changing and to change um, uh, treatment modalities. I mean, we finally started, well, we were using steroids, then we didn't, and now we're using them again. It just goes to show you that there is really no clear cut decision as to, you know, as to how to treat these patients. So Frank, from a non-clinical point of view, I shouldn't say non, but relatively, it's more about leadership to me and adaptability and agility and being flexible. Again, the clinical part, I leave up to you and your great colleagues in the world of medicine and, 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 and frankly, helping people get better. But here's the question. You have to be agile. You have to be flexible. You have to be adaptable. You have to respond to new information. You have to realize that an approach you had isn't exactly what needs to be done now because there's new information. There is no, this is our strategy. We're sticking to it. Come heck or high water, we're going through it. That's a bad strategy. Yes, agreed. And um, so do you, is that difficult as a leader to have to be, you want to give clarity, you want to make it clear what the direction is, but there are so many things you don't know. So isn't that difficult? Yes, it's very difficult. It's really sometimes the expression is flying by the seat of your pants. Um, just to give you an example, just to discharge a patient. Now, ordinarily people come into the hospital, you keep them in for a certain amount of time, hopefully they'll not have a long length of stay. They'll either go home, they'll go to a nursing home if that's where they reside, they'll go to a rehab center. Uh, we had patients that were so sick that there was really no place to send them. But in the meantime, we still had patients that were coming. So we had to devise a strategy as to how were we gonna deal with the patients that were coming and still treat the patients that we had. So our medical staff empowered me that if I could find a different destination for the patients that were either here or that were in the emergency department, as long as I had the permission of the patient or their decision maker, that I was okay to do that. So I did things I had never done before. I was on the phone with the East Orange VA, for, for instance, and they were taking patients from the emergency department. Our sister facilities in Community Medical Center in Toms River, in Monmouth Medical Center in Long Branch, and in Jersey City Medical Center in Jersey City transferred patients to, from our ICUs to their ICUs because they had greater capacity at that point. And you had never done that before. This I was out of the box. Yep. We had never done anything like that. I, Steve, I was on the phone twice a day with the transfer center at a university hospital, sending people to the uh, Meadowlands uh, field hospital. I even was on the phone with uh, the Jacob Javits Center and had patients that were accepted to go to the USS Comfort. They wouldn't go, the patients, but it didn't mean that we didn't have a place for them. So every and option, Frank, sorry for interrupting time, is that yes. every option had to be on the table, even options that were never considered before. Absolutely. So the policies and the rules, it's not that you throw them out, get, get, get rid of them, throw them out the window. It's that those policies weren't going to get it done by themselves. No. They weren't. It, it, was, it, it really was a whole different world and a different way yeah. of, of dealing with things. And, you know, I mean, I, luckily, 
our frontline staff were phenomenal, all that they did, and our medical staff. Our medical staff came together in so many different ways. I mean, our medical staff came, they met our medical exec, our medical leadership got together every single week, at least once to go over what was going on in the hospital. We had medical, we had members of our medical staff who were working in other than medical positions. I had, you know, one of them working as a respiratory therapist, one of them, you know, answering phones and talking to families every day. And that was another- Playing out of position, Frank. They were playing out of position. Yes, exactly. Which is required in a crisis. Exactly. Our, our, nurses, our nurses were deployed from places where they were if the place wasn't, for instance, we had no, we had no um, scheduled surgeries. Our OR nurses were in the ICU. It, it was just, it was all hands on deck. Everybody did everything that they could to get through this. this Franklin, this. before I let you go, Mary Ellen Klein, who is the leader of the Clara Moss campus, uh, you're there as the chief medical officer and do a range of other things in terms of the continuum of care. Final question. No leader does this alone. He or she has to be part of a great team, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I was blessed with the people that I work with. And I can just say that Mary Ellen and I, as well as Terry Dielmo, our chief nursing officer, um, Stacy from PR, uh, Javier from uh, patient experience. I mean, I, I could go on and on and on. And if I miss anybody's names, then I apologize. But we were all here constantly. Nobody ever left this place. I probably spent more time here than I did in my own house. Yeah. So Dr. Frank Mazzarella, a leader, a friend, my doctor, and I consult with him way more than he would like. It's like, oh, God. Anytime, Steve, you know that. Yeah, you say that anytime, but now you wish you had never said it. Steve, uh, and, who, and just to counter you, don't I answer you when you, when you get a little bit uh, over the top? He says, listen, chill, <laughs> just relax. <laughs> Take a step back. By the way, Mary's been telling me that for 20 years. Yeah, you're not dying, Steve. It's probably just indigestion. <laughs> oh, thank just you. Just call Frank. He'll get you to the emergency room. Don't worry. <laughs> Frank, listen, Mary and I are going to talk about you behind your back when we let you go uh, you. in a good way. And then afterwards, Mary, let's introduce who's going to be on the back end of this Lessons in Leadership special. A friend of Frank's. Go ahead. Yeah, definitely. We have Rich Scuderi. Uh, he is the author of The Lonely Boy, and he uh, runs a group that helps others with depression and anxiety. So we'll be joined by him later this episode. And that recommendation came from Frank. And so one of the other things I know about Frank is he's got a great network of friends and relationships. And a big part of leadership, frankly, is having that network. Hey, Frank, all the best, my friend. I'll be texting you. you later today with Thank another Thank you both so much. Okay. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks. We'll be right back right after this. <laughs> this edition of Lessons in Leadership is brought to you by Gibbons PC, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato with my colleague and better half, professionally, Mary Gamba. Uh, our executive producer. Mary, let's introduce our very special guest. Sure. We are very happy to be joined with Richard Christopher Scuderi, author of The Lonely Boy. Uh, and he has also started an organization called the Hunterdon Support Group for Anxiety and Depress Depression. Uh, Rich, nice to have you join us today. Well, thank you for having me and good morning. good morning. Richard, let me ask you this Lonely Boy. As I was reading through it, it struck me you're very candid about your own experiences in life growing up, how you grew up, where you grew up. Um, and also the challenges you've had around depression and anxiety. This show is about leadership. It's not a clinical show. 
but it is trying to understand how candid and honest leaders should be, how vulnerable they should be when talking about struggles that many people, millions and millions of people struggle with anxiety and depression. Why did you choose to share that given you're a very successful interior designer, you stage homes, my wife happens to do that as well professionally, but you wanna put out there an image of, hey, I got this together. Meanwhile, you're being so candid. What's up with that? You know, I, I felt a responsibility because um, I, as are you, are an alumni of Montclair University. I have a degree in broadcasting. And that was the trajectory I wanted to go towards when I um, actually started. But unfortunately, um, six weeks before my uh, graduation from college, my mother suddenly died. Um, she was diagnosed with late stages of acute myelocytic leukemia, and she died six weeks before I graduated. That completely changed my life and my trajectory. I felt like I needed to stay close to home. I had a 13-year-old sister. So I changed my path, and I, um, I stayed close to home, and I didn't do what I wanted to do with life. And I found when tragedies occur in life, people go on because every day the sun goes, you know, wakes, it wakes you up in the morning. But you, you keep a lot of stuff inside. So I went a different route. I stayed close to home. My dad was a custom builder. I got involved with him, but then I started to do the design work and it grew really well so much so that later in life i have now my own show we're on hiatus right now on the comcast channel called design for the times i do a radio show on whcrdb called modern design but i was really hurting inside you know i was hurting inside and i kind of felt that was a little bit of a fraud and uh, a series of tragedies happened um i um, had some health issues in my life although thank god i'm very good right now uh, but a number of years ago, uh, a little bit less than 10, I was diagnosed with a massive uh, benign brain tumor, but so much so that I was going blind. And I had to have emergency surgery at New York Presbyterian Hospital. And uh, for two days, I was blind. So when you go through something like that, Steve, it really affects you. Um, it changes you. It makes you uh, deal with your own mortality. Um, six weeks after that, my father had a massive hemorrhagic stroke. These things led me to the worst depression I ever had. I had good periods. People that have depression have good periods and bad periods. I had come off a good period and then boom, I had a bad period. So because I was um, doing all these things and coming across on camera that I was so happy, um, I felt like I was a fraud. And I felt, I said, you know what? I'm probably not the only person who's had uh, rough patches. Maybe if I share it with other people, I can do something. I can bring something good to somebody else. And that's why I did it. Richard, um, before Mary jumps in, I'm curious about something. Sure. Do you believe it's a responsibility of a leader, regardless of what field he or she is in, to make a difference in the lives of other people, to teach, to coach, to inspire others? Or is it good enough to just be a very good, successful businessman or businesswoman, make a ton of money, and he or she, he or she calls themselves a great, leader. Isn't leadership about making a difference in the lives of others? Well, I think leadership is all about responsibility. And I think it's an honor. It's, uh, Steve, it's an honor for you to give me the time today. I, I so much appreciate that. And I value that. And I think if you're fortunate enough in life to have opportunities that come in that are good for you, you have a responsibility to give back. I'm, I'm very big into mentoring. I, um, I mentor uh, with King College, with the students that do interior design. They work in my business and I teach them. I 
uh, do a program with the local high school, the Hunterdon High School. They have an advanced program for students of radio and television, and they're with me on my programs. In fact, Connor helped me set up today um, for our, our program, and he just started at Keene. He graduated. I think you have part of leadership in life is, is when, you, when you have the ability to do something, you need to share and you need to bring it back, right? We're all part of a community. There's never been a more uh, opportune time to take a look at your life and see what you can do to give back. We're all in this crisis together. The reason we're not doing this in studio is that we're all leveled out. Didn't COVID level us all out? It was an, it's an opportunity, I think. It's unfortunate that so many people lost their lives and that hurts me a lot as it does everybody. But this is the opportunity yeah. to level, right? And, and to give back. Mary, jump in. Yeah, and, and you, one of the things we always talk about, Steve and I, it's about empathy and about letting others know that you understand them and you feel for them. How is your own experience with anxiety, with depression, how does that help you to relate to folks, especially in the support groups that you do? How does that help you to support them as the leader that you are? You know what, I think you have to have those experiences to, in order to relate to other people. So if something hasn't happened to me, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, if I were a fisherman, right, and I was all about uh, deep sea fishing and the experience, I really, I could learn about it, but I really, I really wouldn't have it in me. People know when you're genuine. People know that I'm not really here to sell a book. In fact, you don't make a lot of money when you write a book. And I really exposed myself by doing it. By the way, but the I didn't Lonely book. Boy. If you don't mind if I plug, Richard, the Lonely Boy. Oh, I don't. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Very nice. Um, but but having said that, it, it's really it's really more about giving back. You know, I'm I'm not I wasn't fortunate uh, to have children in my life, and now I'm in my mid fifties. So I feel very strongly, if you're on this earth, you're not supposed to just, you know, take in oxygen and give off carbon dioxide. You need to have a legacy to some degree. And, and the biggest part of, I think, why this is good for leadership is that after the book came out, I had no idea how it was going to affect other people. So much so, Steve, that people were emailing me, calling me, saying, I have depression, I have depression, I have depression. And that's what led me to the outreach program because I knew I had to do something. I had inadvertently, I had given birth to a movement and that's what really this is about. And one of the things that I wanna promote is that we have this wonderful resource that I've created along with licensed clinical counselor, Ruth Altamira Roll, that you can be in, you know, it's a safe space. We actually meet outdoors in front of the, oops, I lost audio and video. Are we there? Yeah, we lost can audio see that. Um, no, we got, uh, we got, okay. what's the yeah, website, uh, Richard, what's the website? I'm sorry. What is the website? For the book? It's um, um, thelonelyboybook.com. Okay. But the organization uh, the, you were talking about. The organization, right, the organization is called the Hunterdon Society for uh, Depression uh, and Anxiety. We meet once a month at the, uh, the Clinton Library. It's called the North County uh, Branch Library, 65 Holstead Street in Clinton. All are welcome. It's a safe space. And it's a great resource if you don't have insurance, um, you know, to give back to community and to be part of community. These days, most of our meetings are about um, dealing with COVID and people's fear, you know? You know, Richard, one of the things that strikes me when Frank Mazzarella told us about you uh, one of the things he kept saying, because I know you guys have a friendship, is that this guy cares. This guy really gives a damn about other people and making a difference. And Mary and I often say this. We do leadership seminars through our company, Stand and Deliver. We do executive coaching. Mary, what do I always say about teaching people to care? 
Yeah, that you cannot. Teaching uh, somebody to care is impossible. You either care or you don't. And it's obvious, Richard, that you definitely do care and it comes out in your passion. And as Steve said, it definitely came out in your book, The Lonely Boy. Uh, we'll put up the website where people can get more information about you and as well as more information about the support group as well. So I know I speak for Steve when I say that this has been extremely helpful to people watching. Richard, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. And thank you so much. I so appreciate you, uh, what you do. I follow you. And uh, uh, I, I love what you're putting out there. I'm just glad to be a little part of it. The fact that Montclair State University, our alma mater, does not even recognize, I'm joking. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love the media communication program there. They're getting better every day. But uh, Richard, thank you so sure. much, my friend. All the best. Take care. And I, I thank you both. Thank you. You got it. I'm Steve. That's Mary. That's Rich. We'll be right back on Lessons in Leadership. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ On Air, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. This is letters. <laughs> Keep that in. This is Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato. That's Mary Gamba. No editing here. No editing. You need to show that you're, hum you're human. I mean, all of our programs, it just seems that we're really getting into empathy and caring and just showing that we all do have a human side and it's okay to show uh, not even our weaknesses, but just that we are human beings. Yeah, including the fact that I can't remember the name of the show. That's okay. Uh, hey, Mary, let's do this. We had Frank Mazzarella. We also had um, um, Richard on, who was really terrific, really terrific. And, but one of the things I want to jump on here Regardless of these conversations we're having, the big theme that keeps being pushed is the need to adapt and innovation. Now, Mary, set up the context for why, for the next year of our lives, professionally, we are pretty consumed by the concept of leadership, innovation, what we learn in COVID, and frankly, not just COVID, but leadership and terrific innovation and adaptability in any difficult changing environment. Why is it such a big part of our world at Lessons in Leadership? Well, uh, to be completely candid and to uh, be human and vulnerable, you twisted my arm and you bribed me into writing another book with you. So uh, bravo you. Those showed your excellent power of persuasion skills. And, An addendum uh, to Lessons in Leadership? An addendum, a whole new book, Lessons in Leadership with a colon. The title is going back and forth, but it'll be something along the lines of innovation and disruption in a time or an age of COVID or just in and very beyond. uncertain and beyond. Or we're going to go with uncertain times because COVID right now, sure, COVID is our reality. COVID is the last you know, eight months have just been turned upside down as we're taping this on October 6th. But COVID could be the next anything. Right now it's COVID, but for organizations who... Uh, faced after 9-11 and the uncertainty that came with that. It could be any major- How about disruption. the economic collapse of 2008, 2009? Exactly. So it's any major disruption and learning to be agile, learning to be, and uh, Dr. Mazzarella said it, you know, at the beginning of this program, it's learning to innovate, it's learning how to get creative and to think outside the box, the, the standard way of thinking. And there is no more normal. It's, it, it's not even a new normal. It's just, it's just, this is the future. This is today. This is the present. And, and I just heard you take a deep breath as everyone saw, because really, I think we're all at that point. And Richard said it as well. We're, we're at a level playing field right now. We have the opportunity, if we see it as such, to recharge, to reboot, to rethink how we do everything from the ground up. So uh, that's what the new book's going to be all about.
Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's the way I look at it. Not about COVID. And Mary keeps pressing me. Hey, Steve, let's not write another book about COVID. There are going to be countless books about it. And she's 100% right, as she usually is. Let's learn from leadership and innovation and disruption and adaptability around COVID, but let's make it relevant for any situation. Now, why do I pick up Churchill? World War II and Hitler, that wasn't COVID. But talk about disruption. Talk about turning the world upside down. Talk about the fear and anxiety that people were experiencing in England and around Europe. Churchill said, we must come together. Victory, victory, victory at all costs. And he was afraid, I'm sure. He was feeling anxiety, even though they didn't use that word a lot in the 1940s. But the reality was and is, there are things that go around around us all the time that cause us to adapt. So, Mary, I introduced you to this book over the weekend, No Rules, Rules, Netflix, Netflix and the Culture of Reinvention. Real quick, Mary, let's set up the story that shows one company that doesn't really exist anymore, and Netflix. Sure. It's not black and white, but here it is. In this story, the introductory chapter is that the leaders of Netflix back in 2000, they had a few employees, they had, uh, they had a big budget deficit, they were struggling. Mary, who'd they go to meet with? Uh, they went to, uh, well, I mean, it's all about Blockbuster and Netflix. It's, you know, their they, they relationship. Met to, they went to meet with the CEO of Blockbuster at the time mm -hmm. in 2000. Blockbuster had gazillions of dollars, billions in revenue, stores all over the place, selling videos, renting the videos. Yep. How many Netflix, stores do they have now? How many stores? <laughs> Netflix leadership in 2000 went to the... Blackbuster, uh, not Blackbuster, Blockbuster leadership and said, listen, why don't we come together and we'll create a, a Blockbuster.com and we'll basically do what Netflix wound up doing. And the CEO of Blockbuster, who was killing it at the time, he was very successful, very distinguished, very strategic visionary. They said, how much, he asked, how much do you want? He goes, um, give us $50 million and you can have Netflix. And the CEO of Blockbuster laughed and said, no, we're good. The status quo is good. By 2010, Blockbuster had one store left. Netflix, you know the rest of the story. Mary, what does that tell you about the need to adapt, evolve, create, partner, as opposed to saying, hey, we got a great plan, Kodak, Blockbuster, Blackberry, got a great plan, I've done this before. But to read about Netflix and realize they're never satisfied. They're producing movies right now. And they're great. And it's, you know, and of course, some things are going to fail. I think the biggest challenge that leaders have is taking that risk for the CEO of Blockbuster to take that uh, big investment and take that risk. Sure, it could backfire, but to stay stagnant and to not evolve, you'll die. And that's what happened to Blockbuster. And that's what happens to so many companies who refuse to take a step back and just insist on saying, this is how we've always done things. And that's not good enough. And, and what is lessons in leadership? We have three other series on public broadcasting, state of affairs, one-on-one, -on -one, think tank, a new series called Uncut, which is largely for social media. But Mary, why would, why would we create another series on leadership? Don't we have enough? Wasn't our plan great? Steve's got to come up with another idea, more work. What a pain in the neck, but what? 
But if he did that, we wouldn't be sitting here today talking about leadership and, and constantly finding new and creative ways to do things. Our other series on PBS is fantastic and it has its place, but with leadership lessons and leadership, we have the opportunity to really uh, kind of get outside the box a little bit, have on guests that we ordinarily couldn't have on or wouldn't have on. So it just gives us an opportunity to expand and to just reach new audiences. So it's really just all about innovation. But again, it's risk taking. We didn't know if it was going to work. Lesson in leadership, status quo, as good as you are, is never an option because everything's moving and everyone is moving around you. And you're moving backwards if you're staying still. I'm Steve Adubato. That's my gem for the day. Mary Gamba, she has a lot more than one a day. Uh, lessons in leadership, we will catch you next time. Same time, same Mary. Oh, Old same. <laughs> same back channel. I'm not even, yeah. I'm not even yeah, buying into it. that. I said same back channel. That's all right. Perfect. 60s reference. Catch you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is brought to you by Gibbons PC, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ On Air, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. Hi, I'm Governor Tom Kane. A dear friend of mine had aphasia, which is a language disorder that occurs from a brain injury or a stroke. It robs a person's ability to communicate, but it doesn't affect their intellect. Programs and services offered at the Adler Aphasia Center help to improve my friend's communication skills, as well as her self-confidence and quality of life. Most importantly, she was among people who understood her. If you or a loved one has been diagnosed with aphasia, there is hope.